Do you know, I listened to the last podcast we done, which was in November 2021. Um, and I think I said, um, some football has happened. And I believe, Daniel, <laughs> some football has happened. There's been there's been a lot that's happened. It's, it's the every other Sunday podcast. Jay McIntosh, Daniel Childs. We're kind of just doing this because we've tried to find a time to get together to talk Chelsea, to talk football, uh, and we haven't been able to do so because Daniel is far too famous now, and um, because of that, the podcasts have have been limited. But we're here. There's plenty of Chelsea stuff to talk about, right? So. We'll get into it. We've got loads of questions that Daniel asked for earlier. Um, so thank you for all of those. First off, Daniel Childs, how are you doing? How dare you call me the Benedict Cumberbatch in this like Sherlock combo we've got going where I'm like off doing Doctor Strange and we can't do Sherlock season five anymore because <laughs> Cumberbatch is, is too busy. It's too big. Uh, but are you, do you want to be the Martin Freeman? I mean, if that's a role you want. Um. Yeah, I, I don't mind Martin Freeman. His his um his American accent's questionable, but I was impressed by his dinner choices on another food based podcast. Um, so yeah, I probably wouldn't mind being him. But instead of talking about him, should talk about football. Let's talk about what's going on at the moment. Uh, let's talk for Fana first because I don't know if it was yesterday where I tweeted that I could feel your energy, but. I know that you have maybe slightly different views to the general consensus uh, on social media. Uh, as to Chelsea's sort of recent happenings, you and I obviously tend to agree more often than not. But what do you feel about the state of play right now in, within Chelsea? I'm happy. Yeah, just happy. I'm content. Well... Well, if we're t- are we talking about transfers or are we talking about what's going on on actually on football pitches but regarding Good. Chelsea? Let's say transfers primarily. It's been a bit of a mess, but we are close to having what I would consider to be a pretty decent window, all things considered. If you actually look at the targets and if we sat down in May and said, well, if we sat down the last podcast and said Raheem Sterling would be a Chelsea player in under 12 months and he'd be actually scoring goals for Chelsea as well. Um, that's a good signing. Kalidou Koulibaly, Mark Kukurea, um, and Wesley Fafana. I just let everyone know, I'm not sure when this podcast, we're actually going to release this podcast. Um, it may be on deadline day. It may be after deadline day. Um, deadline day, obviously... I was speaking to our good mutual friend and my colleague Adam Newson earlier and mm. there is concerns that some mad stuff may happen Chelsea-wise <laughs> on deadline day and I'm very concerned over what Obi-Wan Bowley is going to do um, with you know his, his all-access flight pass <laughs> jetting across the world like Free Harry Redknapp. Ticket. You know, like Harry Redknapp on deadline day, rolling down his window to Sky Reporters. <laughs> and, and I don't know, but it's overall, I don't know. I, I, I would assume you think, you're, I don't know what energy you're referring to because why I found that tweet funny was because it was my response to a, a Fabrizio Romano tweet about a defender 
we could be signing in 2023. Yes. But I think yes. it's a complete waste of time. I assume that's what you were referring to that, when you tweeted that. That specific, yeah. So uh, Vardio was what I was referring to when we saw that last night. I instantly thought of you, actually. And I just, for some reason, I knew you'd be shuddering. I just knew you'd be displeased about seeing that news. Um is it just the fee that puts you off, or do you think no, it's that we've got it's, Levi it's, Colwell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Presumably that would be the other, the other line of thinking. But I guess long term, if you have Colwell, Chalobah, Vardiol, and Fafana, that's quite a strong four. Um, with Kukurea and Chilwell and Reese too, um, it's not it's not bad. But it seems, I think it seems excessive to get them in now. But also, you don't want to miss out on big targets, right? Um, talking about big targets, Cucurella, he's very exciting. I like watching him a lot. And it's, it's interesting because you and I have been very vocal within our own social circles um, about how, how good we think Ben Chilwell is. Um, but Cucurella is fantastic to watch. It's, his, um, it's the directness with which he passes and the speed and the trim. All of those things together, he's very good, isn't he? And he's also good in an interview. I can already see there's going to be some good social media content coming out of uh, Mark Kukurea. I don't know whether I should be saying this whilst we're, the record button is on. But I'm very happy that in the left back area, in the left back hemisphere, certain people will no longer be at the club beyond this window. Well, we hope they're nearly out the door and I'm very happy. That's Marcos Alonso, and I'm very happy Marcos Alonso is shipping off because the thing is, everyone sort of says to me, oh, you know, why the disrespect towards Alonso? He's not so bad. And the thing is, I just don't like watching him play football particularly, and I think that he's just incredibly frustrating. Uh, And at a time, you know, when we need defensive solidity, he is not the man you can turn to, and he's been you that way forever. No, you don't play Marcus Alonso. Marcus Alonso plays you. Like that's <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. the way it kind of yeah. goes. Like I remember watching him for Spain last year when he he got put back in the Spanish squad, and he was like, I think it was the Nations League, and Italy were, I think it was Italy, Spain, and it, uh, Spain were holding on to a lead with like two minutes to go. I think they got someone sent off, and Marcus Alonso just playing a centre forward. Just in a 90 second minute, just because of course he is like, he's just up the pitch, he's doing what he wants and there's nothing you can do to sort of change what he's going to do. Um, I've had a piece ready for Football London about his departure and his Chelsea career. I've been sitting on it for about a month now. Maybe that's exaggerating, but I've had it written up for quite some time. Yeah. And the thing is, he will probably, he'll probably leave having sort of garnered, um, a weird sort of cult maverick player sort of status. And I think that's, that's acceptable because there are plenty of different players with, with different skill sets within that bracket. But yeah, not for now. He is, <laughs> he is far gone. What about, what about, we've got to talk, as I say, I don't know if this will actually happen, but before recording, um, if you know Dutch football better than me and you know Ajax better than me, we've made a 50 million offer for Ajax midfielder Edson Alvarez. Um, I don't... <laughs> Jay, it's incredible. I don't know what's more incredible. The fact that Chelsea may actually sign a central midfielder. And I mean seriously sign, not loan some guy for 12 months that never plays. An actual footballer that's going to play. Um, or that it's taken all summer for someone at Chelsea to realise that maybe there's a problem in central midfield and actually investing in a new one might be a good idea. Do you know what? I've I've had this theory and I really thought about it last night. Honestly, I would full on five minutes I sat there and thought about this, like it's just staring into <laughs> in contemplation, like in a dark room, like it it wasn't well lit, the room that I was in. Um but I I honestly think that Todd Bowley goes on to FB ref and just starts typing in names. And when he sees certain stats, he goes all in. He sees pressures pressure in the 90th percent. Oh, he's all in. Yeah, yeah. He sees, he sees basically, I'm going for this. And he just, free meal, get the flight sorted. Um, 
And presumably he's gone on to Alvarez's FB ref and noticed that his pass completion is exceptional. It's, it's actually some of the best in Europe, uh, as is his clearances and aerials one. Um, so having a sort of physical defensive presence that can pass the ball out from the back is exactly what Chelsea need. The thing is, it's, it's a bit, I feel like it's a bit of a curveball because the news is fresh for the two of us. Um, and because I feel like I might have lulled myself into the expectation that Rice is just going to be a Chelsea player at some point. It feels, it feels a shame to almost have to bring him into this because I know um, it it's is only taken. I, I mean, 10 minutes, is it, we've taken for, for him to be mentioned? Proper Chelsea. Um, so, yeah, it seemingly uh, a physical defensive midfielder, uh, player, centre-back, central defensive midfielder, uh, capable of, of passing, it seems. So that's exactly what Chelsea need because time after time, Jorginho gets stuck in the mud. He does have good games, but actually it seems now that his uh, peaks and troughs are much closer together. You actually see it two or three times in a game where he'll have a 10, 15-minute period of being incredible. And then he just gets physically destroyed to the point where chances are conceded and that's exactly what's been happening recently so I mean it's an interesting shout I'd like to know more information as to whether that would be directly from Tuchel wanting this player it's certainly maybe not who you'd expect Um, I've also been building a slight well I guess it's nothing new but I I do think unless players are truly elite or have truly elite potential, you're more often than not better off buying within the league because especially you see how many players like take time to adapt and clubs don't really have the time to give those players at points, especially Chelsea where it's so ruthless. So I kind of thought Chelsea would buy within the league. I, you know, There are plenty of midfielders that they could have gone for, um, albeit at a, at a high cost, but Ajax don't sell cheaply either. Um but yeah, we just have to wait on that one. Uh, I don't really know what to expect, but Ajax are, are a decent team and, and you go there and you get sort of sculpted with philosophy. And it'd be nice to have some of that at Chelsea. Um, but I do also want more shit houses. There are not enough of them in this Chelsea team. And I don't want to sound like Rory Jennings, but we need a few of them. Uh, and there aren't very many. So I'd like to get one more of those in. Yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm pretty content with the two cool signings. I think they've been smart, actually. And I think they've also been give or take our best players at the start of the season. Um, before we go into people's questions, I do want to talk to you about something because people <laughs> who know the two of us um, and don't necessarily agree with the things we say sometimes uh, would certainly raise it if we didn't. Uh, and it's that Mason Mount has been poor. We know how you feel about Kai Havertz. And everyone who listens to this will know how you feel about Kai Havertz because you are vocal about it. Um, and I don't think we need to go into Havertz too much because he's been poor too. We'll probably have slightly differing opinions, but I want to talk about Mount first at least. Um, what have you made to start? Because obviously five games, zero goals, zero assists. No, one assist. Is it one assist? Okay, one assist. Fine. Um it's not been ideal, has it? No, I mean, there's not been many attackers with the exception of Raheem Sterling and the brief cameos we've got of Broya that look at all encouraging. Um, there's no way what I say about Mount isn't going to come across as me making excuses. Um, but <laughs> I think that when you win the player of the year, two year, years running. Incoming excuses. <laughs> I sound like Jurgen Klopp after a defeat. Oh, Jurgen. Oh, for Mason Mount, the pitch is too, whatever it is, the pitch dry is too, or wet. It was too dry at St. Mary's, I have to be honest. No, but he's he's been poor and he's, like a lot of players, he's just drifted out of game, sadly. He started the one against Southampton really well and I think he generally did have a very good first 25 minutes. Um but then he drifts out of the game. This, I don't know if it's a fact of him, like like Havertz, just being overplayed constantly and there's no sort of rotation. So complacency sets in. I think that's a real danger. And the message it sends to the players not playing 
if the attackers on the pitch. I would say against Spurs, I thought Mount had a good game against Spurs, or at least in the first half, I thought he was very good um, or was getting into positions that made it very difficult for him to track. But to me, okay, Mount has not been playing well, full stop. I think he should be playing a lot better, full stop. (laughs) At the end of that, like me criticising another player, the response to that shouldn't be, well, what about this guy, agenda bias? What about uh, aboutery? What aboutery? I want to... what about re on a side note is I've realized I've come to learn that the circles in which what about re get used usually are like intelligent circles and people who think they are like know about the world. Um, the pseudo intellectual. The pseudo intellectual, right? I've realized that what about re is just a lazy way to dismiss an argument you don't like. I, that's what I've realized. It's not actually what about re is just a way of saying, oh no, someone's got a counter argument to my point. So I'm just going to say this this made-up word that we came up with to sound smart. So then I don't have to talk... Anyway, back to Mason Mount and what about Rui. I I don't think he's playing well, and I think that I wouldn't be overly angered by him being taken out of the team. Um, because at the moment, with the attack, with the exception of Raheem Sterling, I am out of ideas or at least concerned over how to call what he is doing with the attack, to be honest. I don't think many Chelsea fans can sit here and honestly say the attack is doing well. And the fact that a majority of players seem to underperform in this system in the final third is not a good signal for a coach. It's just not, despite their profile, despite their talent. Um, People may, again, it sounds like an excuse bringing up fatigue, but we know Mount has played a lot of football, um, you know, at Chelsea. And... He not only plays a lot of football for Chelsea, he plays a lot of football for England. And it's just, he still is a very young player. And you do wonder, at times, the heavy reliance on him as a young player, is that going to take its toll in the long run about his ability? And if we take him out of the firing line at times for others, could that actually refresh him, refocus his mind? I think there was a period last season where he was out of the team and he came back and he was brilliant. You know, I think sometimes, even though the mentality of Mason, I think is one of the best within this current squad. Um, players like him, I think, need, you know, kick up the arse at times, I think, to to mm-hmm. be reminded yep. of how good he can be. And he's not being that at the moment. Um, it's the same with Kai Havertz. My frustration with yeah. Kai Havertz is not the same to sort of pair it with a, a player I had a lot of frustration with last season, um, who's now at Leipzig again. You know, I I... My frustration with Havertz is I don't doubt his technique. I don't doubt his capability to be brilliant because I've seen, we've all seen in flashes his capability to be a defining player in some big matches for Chelsea. Um, my frustration is is watching that talent go to waste effectively. Um, and again, we can have a conversation over the balancing act. And it's difficult, right? Working in football media and journalism and writing about mm. the game and trying to really dissect it and do wise cut pieces, you realise how complex... And yeah. how much, how many variables not only go into a, a single game of football, a single move, but also a player's own development and the the ups and downs and how many indicators that have to go in and have to co- coalesce at the same time to make a good performance. So, but I, I, I can't, I don't think anyone here can sit here and tell me that Kai Havertz um, is playing well and he's he's playing acceptably. Um, mm. You know, if I frame it another way, if Kai Havertz was an, a returning loanee or an academy player trying to break in to Thomas Tuchel's squad, I think he would have got about forty-five minutes against Everton, and then we he would have been on the bench. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just yeah, can't yeah. buy that he. I can't buy that he is getting these appearances because of on merit and because of his performances. And then again, you look back to the dugout and say. What do you you have such lack of trust in every, all your other options? What does that say about the rest of your team? So let's not make this to Kai Havertz show because you know yeah. I think he just needs to like Mason maybe he needs to sit out a few games and maybe yeah reconfigure yeah. where his best position is because that's that's something that irks me as well. Um, I don't think you can excuse all of his bad performances by just because people same people don't like it when if we talk about Mason's best position they they think that's an excuse. 
but I'm more than happy to bring like all, all last season when Rom was, was was the villain of the piece and was Thanos and we <laughs> wanted to extinguish him. Yeah. Um, it was all about how Kai is the nine. He is the nine. He's the perfect nine for Chelsea. Why aren't we playing him as a nine? Now it's nine's not his best position. What are you talking about? We've been playing him out of position for years. Like, I'm so sorry. Okay, okay let's, let's rewind a bit. Do you remember when Frank dared to play Kai as an eight and the amount of shit he got for doing that? Does it, everyone forget that? So where does he play in this team? And that's actually a question, again, all leads back to what is the overall plan at Chelsea in an attacking mm-hmm. sense with Tuchel? Uh, I also think, actually, there's something to be said for the fact that the defence and the midfielder are actually quite rigid, um, albeit the fullback to give them freedom to go up and down, but that's you know systemic. I genuinely don't think that Chelsea's forwards enjoy fluidity. Like they they do stay within their zones roughly, but there is a lot of interchange, and that's common across a lot of teams now. Um, but I think actually they maybe could benefit some, from some rigidity. And actually taking a few players out, I think Mason and um, Havertz should come out. I think Broyer should go in. Sterling should be there. And I actually think Ziyech and, and Broyer could be a really nice uh, pairing. Um, obviously, we've not spoken about Ziyech. Is on, if Ziyech isn't on a flight to uh, Amsterdam yeah. <laughs> again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smoking shisha with Lukaku in Milan or something. <laughs> Um, which he does I've seen Lukaku's do. trying to get all the players back to him effectively like I love that Lukaku's embraced this hill turn and he's just like yeah. I, we are committing to it now I am going to be the villain of the piece <laughs> you made me the villain it's, it's like classic WWE he's picking up the microphone he's going I should have done it sooner um, so I embraced the character arc of Romelu Lukaku <laughs> once yeah. the once the golden boy of this podcast now now the guy that we just kind of awkwardly forget about because we we our reputation should have been t- tanked after we said he would win us the Premier League. Well, I don't know who'd be foolish enough to say such a thing. Uh, some of those journos on Twitter. What about Ray? What? Yeah, it's purely what about Ray? Um, do you want to do you want to get into questions because we have a lot. Um, do you want to ask first, or do you want me to? Because I have one ready to go, and that's you do. Yeah, you can you can go. Okay, this is from Tom Coley, obviously friend of the show, <laughs> friend of the football Dilbert London, well. football London. Now he's been working on football London the last yes. few months. Actually, I've seen. Yeah, he's doing really well, isn't he? So big up Tom. Uh, shout out yourself. But he's asked, given all that's happened at Chelsea, the change, the, the business, obviously, um, what could Chelsea have done better. Now, obviously, we caveat at the start of the show or some point within the show, we said that transfer deadline day is tomorrow for us. Uh, as of recording, this is Wednesday. Um, but Daniel, what could Chelsea have done differently? I don't think the director of football point is an easy one to throw out because the if we're going, if we're not trying to multiverse this up again, and we, we're going by the same timeline. There wasn't a lot of time mm-hmm. to do that. So I can't blame the club for for not having all that sorted on day one, um, given the, the time frame and how everything played out. If the takeover and sanctions had taken place in October, I think it may have been a different story. But anyway, um, I think that Tuchel, again, like... And maybe this changes if we buy Alvarez. Um, I'm probably going to have to tomorrow my shift to go on my scout and start pretending like I'm an expert <laughs> about players that I haven't thought about for like five minutes before they're linked to Chelsea. But anyway, um, I'm a bit disappointed that pre-season, because I saw the game in uh, um, against Arsenal in Orlando, um, and we were absolutely shocking. And... I feel like it was a bit of a wasted preseason. It felt like to me, um, in one that needed to be a lot more productive, and it felt like by the time we got to the Udinese game, the mood around everyone was already like, "Oh shit," and the mood is now, "Oh shit." Um, you know, my concerns. You know, I I could I should probably tell the story in Orlando because I <laughs> I nearly got lost and you know trapped, not trapped, but like. <laughs> abandoned in Orlando. Um, abandoned. That's <laughs> I was abandoned. Yeah. Orlando, stumbled across the Chelsea okay. game. Okay. Yeah. No. 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 I almost. Uh, it's. It's a long. St- it was actually after the game and trying to get an Uber back to my hotel. 
different story. I I now laugh about it because I met a, a good Chelsea fan in a Seven Eleven and we had a great conversation. So um, anyway, <laughs> get back on track. Um, I would have liked to have seen. Okay, so go back to preseason. <laughs> what the fuck am I saying? We go back to preseason. I find it a bit bizarre the lack of use of say Billy Gilmore, Ethan Ampadu, Dujon Sterling, Ian Matson. Um, I'm probably missing someone out. Um, the academy sirens sound yeah. again for <laughs> Daniel Child. The shock of the episode is Daniel Child is banging on about using academy players. <laughs> you, anyone open the, the the break between podcast episodes was going to change anything about the, our biases. You are yeah. sorely. You should have been. You should have. What were you expecting? What were you? Expecting? We are. Like, we're like an old stone. We've just yeah. eroded into yeah. our being. We've, we're, we're more firm in these. Beliefs. We're like the Graham Sooness of podcasts. You know, oh, it's always gonna. <laughs> oh, that's a really good challenge. That is absolutely <laughs> brutal. Anyway, so you know what I'm saying. Like I, I felt that preseason. When all those players, I was halfway through my holiday in in Orlando when I, I saw a video of Tuckle saying, oh yeah, we've just sent a load of these academy players home. And then he was like, well, we needed to keep the level high and then sat on my seat like baking to death in the Camping World Stadium as I see Michi Batshuayi slowly run <laughs> onto the pitch. Do you know what? I feel as though Chelsea are the I'm going to have an extra pint type of club. <laughs> Okay, that's. I, I thought Will Barry was going to be the title of the uh, of the podcast. It's now got a, a, a elite competitor in. I'm going to have an extra point. It's what it is. It's what it is, man. Carry on. Sorry, sorry. Carry on. No, that was my. That that was the end of my diatribe. Oh, that's it. Okay, amazing. All right. Well, we kind of spoke before, saying that we would try to limit responses when the other ones asking questions, just so we could get for a few. Yeah. If it's the one that I want to ask you, I'm going to be fuming. There's a lot of DM questions that have I come know, up I on know. my one instantly, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah. And I hope to those people... Um, hmm. Let's see, let's see, let's see. It's like the sorting hope to those hat. people, you enjoy our extremely limited knowledge of the defensive midfielder we've subsequently been linked to within the last 40 minutes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the expertise. <laughs> yeah. How the painful! One. No, no, no. I found and I found one, and go I on, think this may on. be the one you wanted. Please don't tell me you liked it because this may give it away. No, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. Okay. Will Dingy? Thank you for the question. Will has asked, "How painful will it be to watch Billy G ball out at Brighton?" This is the, this is a perfect question for you. Um, to be honest, I think it'll be quite nice. I'm I'm kind of over Chelsea a bit. In terms of, in terms of the, we're five games of, into the season, ladies and gentlemen, and he's already, at, he's already, he's already jumped. He's like, you know, Jack Sparrow, you know, at the start no, of the first time I was on the Caribbean. I've said this for, for for literally years, but my point is, you is do that, hate football. You have, you know, this is a character yeah, 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 yeah. trait of yours. You do absolutely hate bottom football. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I think the, the the thing is what that I'm over is the idea that. Chelsea as an entity, as a as a club, can accept or can facilitate multiple young players of slightly differing abilities um, within the first team. I just don't think it's possible. Um, and quite frankly, I think Gilmore should go to Brighton if he's in the long term plans and excellent because he's a wonderful footballer. And you know, I know that you agree with me when when I wax lyrical about him. He is truly excellent. He's he's extremely gifted, but. Yeah, I hope he. I hope he goes to Brighton. It's a perfect team for him to go to. Um, obviously, rumours around various Brighton midfielders, i.e., Caicedo going to Liverpool, but I don't obviously know. I doubt that happened. To be honest with you, I think they get priced out. But as long as Billy gets minutes, that's predominantly what I care about. Minutes and and Potter is an amazing coach. We we said this before and got slated that he's an incredible coach. Um, but I think that's common for a lot of football analysts actually I think a lot, everyone who really watches football knows that Potter's a brilliant manager I sorry um, to interject I remember reading a book called I'm pretty sure it was in a book called Leaders was it Leaders I think it was it, it was a book about Tuchel had an interview from Borussia Dortmund and it was about The Edge The Edge that's what it's called The Edge it's it's got a load of questions um, a load of interviews with different people in football 
And I'm pretty sure that was the book where there was a, an interview with Graham Potter where, while he was at Ostersons and some of the interesting things he yeah, did. So I definitely, wow. if you want to learn more about his coaching and kind of methodology, I think he's done an amazing job at Brighton, but that's actually quite informative about the type of character he is. Because I think mm. the public persona and Michael Calvin did a great uh, interview of him on his podcast recently that I definitely suggest you go and listen to. I think Graham Potter looks like the type of guy to go to an Oasis gig with Peter Crouch. And I enjoy thinking that he might do that. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I'm happy for Billy Gilmore. But just go and play football and play a good enough team that your talent deserves. As we've always said with players that leave Chelsea young players, go to the team that your talent best suits. And Brighton's a lovely place to live. He'll have a nice time. Daniel, Big Louise has asked, uh, will Chelsea sign Neymar? Do you want the Fortnite boots at the uh, at the bridge? And he does absolutely nothing and then gets injured. Six nutmegs and a rainbow flip, though. So that's a basically big goal. I've got a proper question. I'm very sorry if I butcher your name. Uh, Chatanya Gupta has asked, do you think it's wise to offer N'Golo a new contract with his injury troubles? He's a phenomenal player, one of the best mids in the world, but it's risky at his age and with his history of injuries. Uh, moreover, he hasn't really played well for a continuous period ever since our UCL win. No, let him go for free next summer. Oh, for free. That's so painful, the idea of letting someone that good go for free. Think about the value that N'Golo Kante has given to Chelsea. £30 million we bought him for. Arguably one of the greatest value signings we've ever got. Um, There's a time you just got... But why are you laughing? I've thought, I know what you're going to say in terms of Kante's offered so much value for the money he paid for him. I think all Chelsea transfers now should be measured in how many Kantes they're bought for. And then do they offer that amount of Kante's worth of value over the long run? I.e. Cucurella is two Kantes. Fafana is I, I actually like Kante's. that. We do it in Kantes, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that's actually a better... I mean, I'd go how many Diego's. If you're uh, above yeah. 35 million... You're in dangerous territory in my books, you know. <laughs> yeah, hot stepping into <laughs> yeah. the, the Chelsea, the Chelsea happy point for players is genuinely between twenty and forty million. We only have we only have that budget. That's the only because that's the only ones that work. Like literally in that in that bracket, anything above or below that, it's pretty much since twenty ten. And obviously, Frank was bought for eleven million, but we're talking about like modern era, so like the last yeah. ten ten years. Anything, any like, and it's if it's like forty five million. We're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're getting into Timo Werner territory. Especially if they're a nine. Yeah, if they're yeah, an attacker, yeah. it's, it's, it gets a bit sticky up above the 45 zone. Um, okay, yeah, that was off piece. But um, Kante going for free. Yeah. I. Uh, the thing is, what the problem will be actually that follows is, is the, the weight of the legacy with Kante. And whoever goes into that position is, is going to be compared to what was there before, which is obviously unfair. And it's something that Mount has struggled with and, you know, various players that other clubs struggle with. I think he's the second best midfielder Chelsea have ever had. Um, and what a legend. So yeah, if he goes for free, he goes for free, right? Steve Sidwell is somewhere fuming with his number nine <laughs> shirt on his back. M. Donny asks, Jay, De Jong, any news? Give or take the fact that everyone has said he's staying at Barcelona, that would be the line I would run with. Um, again, I thought that was such a weird signing. Uh, it was so strange. I wasn't overly on board with it, which I know is unpopular. Um, but I would rather have a more defensive presence in that position. Um, and I thought De Jong was a bit sort of keeping up with the Joneses. If, if you know, if Man United to go for him, we'll go for him and Top Bowley's out there like an NBA guy on the, on the court shooting T-shirts at people. He's just shooting rolls of money, just trying to get every player possible <laughs> free meal tickets and money. But yeah, De Jong for me is, would be, in my opinion, a luxury player for Chelsea. When I say luxury player, I don't specifically mean the value. I mean the, the broad. He, this is going to sound really strange, but he's got a broad yet specific skill set. And I... I don't know a better way of defining that, so sorry if that contradiction sounds confusing. Um, but not, in my opinion, the primary profile of player Chelsea need, albeit Chelsea need a creative presence. I will 
completely concede that point. It's like it's obvious, but I do actually think not being a ring donut team and actually having something filling that middle would be really useful. Um, so De Jong, I'm not overly fussed on. So you're saying we need a bit of jam, a bit of cream. I don't know what else goes into donut. I mean, does <laughs> jam and cream? I don't know. Does... What? I don't know. Does cream and jam go into a donut? I... No, bro. I'm a what I'm a glazed I'm a glazed I'm a Krispy Kreme classic glazed guy. That's that's I don't stray outside of that if I'm ever eating a donut. Um, R. G. Keith, good name, uh, has asked, "Give me what you think the odds are of us being the mystery bidders for Telemans." <laughs> I'd say you've got pretty good odds, mate, at the moment. <laughs> Even accidentally, even accidentally, if Bowley's there, he's shooting a load of contracts out. Just accidentally, it's it's like <laughs> it's Shot hit a Bamiang. It's hit a Bamiang. It's it's reverberated around back to Leicester, where we've just been for Fafana, and dropped at Tiedemann's door. Oh, I just see Barkley chasing his out the door as this slowly rolls out, but slightly too quickly for him to get. I feel like Ross Barkley's probably going to sign for Barca. Going to get announced last minute. No, to be honest with you, I will be, if he doesn't go to Southampton or to Scotland, I'm going to be really surprised. And that's no no sort of ITK. What if you go to I, Atalanta? That's where Jay McIntosh sends every player. Oh, Any player comes to Jay McIntosh, could you go to Atalanta, mate? There's a new, uh, there's a new Atalanta for me at the moment. I'm, I've sort of shifted with the times. I feel like Atalanta are a great club. Because it's not hipster anymore. It's not hipster enough anymore. It's because they don't, offer that level of vim that I'm looking for right now in comparison to my team that I would suggest every player go to, which is Betis, because their kit's lovely and they play nice football. Do you think that the um, the need for a, a sort of, you know, a presence radiating defensive midfielder is required more so than a striker? Yeah. I think because I watched us against Southampton and thought I'd been transported <clears throat> back to 2019. Mm. And I was like, this feels too much. Like, I feel like Frank's, I'm going to see Frank on the touchline again, being very upset. And I don't want to see that. Um, Jorginho, I swear I watched Jorginho get skipped past at Southampton in 2019 under Frank. I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure I saw that incident happen. So it's like, I've, I've, I think we've always said this, that, a midfielder, a deep midfielder that can cover a lot of ground, is it? He's not going to score goals, but if it gives Tuchel more confidence to, I think the Southampton game was a great example of what Chelsea could become. The first twenty-five minutes, like literally up to the goal, because we collapsed after the goal, because uh, Southampton then realised that we didn't really have a defence. So they were like, we are oh. a straw. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <are a> <laughs> You know, just like, oh, we can just run towards goal. And then it was like, oh, great, that was the tactic. And they found out, they found us out, like, if you just play the ball around midfield and play it literally towards Cesar Azpilicueta, there's a chance you're going to score. And that was it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Joel N has asked updates on outgoing. Um, but I guess it's more of a, a sort of bigger conversation or larger I've got conversation. A be- I've got a better question. I've got a better question. At CFC Cobham asks, has Kovacic surpassed oh, Lampard yes um, maybe in maybe in the running for who could be Chelsea's next head coach when, when we get another yeah. transfer ban the thing is Kovacic he doesn't come into the bracket I think when Kovacic is fit he has to start to be honest with you um, my tune has changed on him because he stopped dancing and actually started doing stuff that's meaningful um, and I don't mean that sound overly flippant but there have been games where he has flapped around and been not great And that, but that was a long time back when we were recording regularly well, semi-regularly. Um, but he has to start. He's brilliant and he gives us uh, a dynamism that we lack, obviously, when he's not playing. I've, I've got sort of three things to ask you, but I'm going to try and wrap them all into this. Um, but thoughts on periphery players both succeeding and uh, ostensibly failing to break into the first team at the moment. Well, not ostensibly, not doing it at all. Um, primarily here, Pulisic and Loftus-Cheek. I want to touch on, I don't really know even what to say about Batshuayi. Ruben Loftus-Cheek I want to talk about. I know it might seem a bit strange calling Ruben Loftus-Cheek a, a peripheral player, but I still kind of view him as a 
when Chelsea are at their best, he's not starting. I think Ruben, I'd like to think, has probably saved the club a bit of money because there was constant talk about us trying to sign another wing back, like a, a dumb yeah. freeze from, from Inter, Carl Walker-Peters, who is a very good player. Um, yeah, and had a good game against Chelsea uh, for Southampton, but he looks like a good utility player, doesn't he? He knows the system. Um, he can play in a few positions. He can play an eight. He can play a six. He can play as right wing back. Um, Tuchel quite clearly seems to like him. So, yeah, I think he'll have a good season. And I think we underestimate the importance of last season and Fulham, this is Fulham season as well, of just him being on the pitch and being injury free. As I said, that it looks like he's got an injury again. Um, <laughs> typical. But um, to fact, the, the, listen, the, the fact he's even got a Chelsea career back on track yeah. relatively is a massive achievement. And I think in the world of us wanting players to be 10 out of 10 and be world-class all the time, there was a, an, I don't know if you read it, there was an article from Jonathan Liu in The Guardian about Deli Alley going to oh, I've heard it's excellent. I've heard it's excellent. I haven't read it. It's on, it's on my list. The perception of Deli Alley is that him going to Turkey is kind of some sort of, you know, um, punishment. You know, and it's kind of football yeah. purgatory and sort of thinking about how, and I know, I think Jonathan has wrote a piece about Edin that was quite similar to this as well. Like the, the level Ali got to was still very, very good. He scored a goal in a World Cup that meant a lot to millions. He, oh, for a few years, was, you know, he was, for a few years, he was truly wonderful, right? And he looked like he could potentially in years to come reach a level that we'd seen from, Lampard and Gerrard like he yeah, could be the, yeah, the new yeah, version yeah. of that type of English midfielder um things have gone wrong but he kind of brought it back to as as a player does it does he see it as failure or does he you know he's happy to be going to an, another culture another country and he's had a good he's he's played in elite levels in his career how many people get to do that and I think maybe sometimes we we lose sight of that, especially as a Chelsea fan and writing and talking about Chelsea is that you're constantly breathing sort of, I don't mean to sound sort of entitled and um, arrogant, like elite air. And I, I find it very interesting reading books and watching stuff in my spare time of football clubs that aren't like that. I, I find it interesting seeing a reality where it's, it's not all about standards and we have to win tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. I think um, on Ruben, I would, again, this would be the academy bias siren, but I would rather have um, squad players that have developed from the academy. It's okay if they're not superstars, but I'd rather have them as squad, solid squad players that have the desire to play for the club and the want to play for the club, even if they don't play regularly or like semi-regularly. That's a really nice place to be in, actually, because it, it keeps a harmony within the club. Let's talk about because am I saying that correctly? Because you've corrected yes. me before. Yeah, we we've yeah. gone through this. It's sick. It's not well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is sick. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sick of it right now. <laughs> I'm sick of this. That's literally like trying to really get an article out of the tiniest point you can find about a game and just, just running with it to the point of where you're analysing bank holiday. The Pulisic thing's a shame because he's so talented. And I've said this repeatedly. I, I'd rather brashly said and have said repeatedly before that um, I thought and perhaps still think, I don't know, 
um, that his ceiling is higher than Callum Hudson-Odoi's, although I know Daniel Ewan and Adam Newsom have argued against that before. Um, and I really do think he offers uh, a, an attacking threat that Chelsea can benefit from. He's a, he's a pretty decent finisher when you watch him. I don't know what the numbers would say. Uh, he's direct. He's he's attack. Uh, he's he, you know he's got oh goodness I'm flapping my words. He's direct, great pace, great touch, drives towards the box, draws fouls. I think a bit too much um, personally, just for his own welfare because he's gonna he gets injured all the time because he's made a pay for mache, and it seems as though actually you could get a decent partnership out of him and Sterling if you you know like we had a central figure up front. He needs regular minutes to be the, the person that he, that he is, unfortunately, because for, for certain players, and this isn't, uh, you know, not being rude, essentially, but he, he is a superstar celebrity and is a cultural figure in a certain way well, in America. You know, the, the, the LeBron James of soccer means you're obviously exaggerated, but he's the poster boy over there, or, or certainly one of the main ones, right? Um, and he needs to be playing regularly and he needs to be playing regularly at a big club because that's what the game requires over there. And he is that person chosen for that task at the moment. Um, albeit there are some amazing American players coming through. It's, I think he will probably leave soon. I don't know whether it would be this window, but maybe in Jan, uh, maybe next summer. I don't know where he goes, to be honest with you. I think the, the super elite teams wouldn't take him because those positions are filled. Um, obviously AC Milan will be linked inevitably <laughs> but Betis got any spare spots going yeah Betis could do with him but I, I don't think they're a big enough club for, for his sort of brand which is a really odd thing to have to say but it's true and ultimately it'll be a shame if he leaves but he's a great player I'll be very pissed off if he ends up getting sniped by Liverpool as a sort of rotational bench player that then explodes into a brilliant he would be amazing on the clock other than that I don't really know what to say are you happy about um, Caltech's move to Leverkusen very very happy for him for Leverkusen because they've had a difficult start to the season yeah. I think all round um, th- there's apparently I don't know how legit this is there's apparently a, a option to recall Callum in January and I wonder if that's a strategy because there was some talk that Chelsea were hesitant to let Callum go because of his contract. Um, I think it's down to one year next summer or two okay. years. I'm not sure. Um, and I wonder if he does like ridiculously well, there's a fear that they want to bring him back so they can have enough time to convince him to sign a new one. But I, I'm just happy he's out of the Chelsea bubble, man. I'm just, I'm so happy that, there's finally going to be something new to speak about with Callum Yeah. Because it's just been Groundhog Day with his Chelsea, just his career for the last... One of our early podcasts, I remember you you brought up the idea and you felt, and I'm sure you feel the same now, based on the way it's gone, that we should have just sold him. Um, yeah, 100%, 100%. You know, and I wrote about this in my latest Substack. I think I wrote about it a few times for Football London. It's just... Oh, check out the Substack. Just... Even more intellectual. The Bundesliga, yeah, it's exciting. Um, and I think it's going to be fun watching him, to be honest. And I think based on what I'm seeing from Chelsea so far this season, I'm going to need a lot of fun distractions. So we've got Tammy in Syria. We've got Cow in the Bundesliga. Uh, we've got Levi at Brighton. You know, got maybe Billy at Brighton as well. You know, Tamori too. We don't know where Diego's going yet. We've got Sesk at Como, you know. Do you know what I did see? I saw links suggesting that Leicester were considering uh, our old friend, friend of the show, Jeremy Boga. Wouldn't that be nice? I have a kind of risky question. This can be maybe the last topic we really go into. I can't, I can't specifically remember the non-Premier League player that this sort of <laughs> anecdote stems from. Maybe it was Anthony from Manchester United. And it's something that maybe you and I need to get someone who isn't British or and a Premier League team fan, whatever. But Anthony's 
numbers are solid, right? They they're good. Especially his numbers like FB ref wise, Y Scout wise are very impressive. But his goals and assists, I don't know how dissimilar they are to sort of Jared Bowens, for example, but why or I feel like it's just it consistently happens. Why is it that someone like Jared Bowen is so unattainable, but they'll, they'll go for the 100 million euros on, on someone like Anthony. Um, and also, I think it's something that affects the Chelsea fan base a lot and always when linked to English players, which we have been at points throughout this, this window, but not too often, actually, um, is this sort of general snobbery. And, and actually, I think since the last time we spoke, as I said earlier, I've developed perhaps an even stronger opinion that if you're going to spend a lot of money, then buying within the league is a really intelligent thing to do. Um, not only due to experience, but it, you take players from the teams around you and make them weaker. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it's just, I don't understand what, do you think the attitude is, is generally, if a big club is linked to an English player, it is then assumed that that English player is overrated because they are linked to that club. Subsequently, the price will quite clearly be too much because they're all too much, which is true. They're overpriced to hell but you know now I'm not even sure if it's just an English player thing it might just be from a Premier League team to a Premier League team thing but um, you know 100 million for Anthony suggests this is just the way that it goes for Premier League teams now I don't know I, I don't know I actually don't know where, where I sit on it but I don't understand why there's immediate action to you know reject such a player um, and it does you know that that seems to be the way that it goes and obviously just because they're English doesn't mean they're right or wrong for the club and it shouldn't make a difference. Um, but it seems to be a part of the Chelsea culture war that you and I see. You know, I don't actually think you and I see too much of the other parts of the Chelsea culture war because of, you know, how our, how our algorithms work. But the one bit, you know, some of the bits we do see are when we're challenged about academy players or English bias or something we've been, um, you know, had levelled at us too. And I just think it's really odd that there seems to be, you know, no one would be interested in someone like Jared Bowen, but maybe someone outside the league. But Jared Bowen, for example, or Harvey Barnes is another player. Harvey Barnes is absolutely, you know, he's a quality player. Gordon is obviously the, the sort of hyperbolic example because he's far too much and hasn't done enough to warrant that price, but has potential. But someone like Harvey Barnes, you know, if he was linked to Liverpool, it might be the same in their fan base. I don't know Manchester United, it, their fan base is just too big, so it's obviously going to be a mess. Uh, Arsenal, I think they'd probably really like someone like Harvey Barnes, to be honest. Um, they've done things perfectly, by the way, give or take. Um, but I've just seemed to notice it more and more. And it, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on sort of how you've seen the state of of that issue, because that is something that we have spoken about and tried to analyse, um, you know, as non-judgmentally and as unbiased as possible, albeit faltering at points. I wonder if it stems from a period when... English players were overpriced and the output they gave or the quality, the technical quality at a high level didn't really justify that. I think there mm. absolutely was a period where clubs were paying a tax of some kind and it didn't really feel like that was justified. And there absolutely are still cases where an Anthony Gordon, for instance, and you know, you look at it and it goes, they're absolutely would be alternatives in the Bundesliga, in Serie yeah. A, in you know, other leagues across Europe and the world where Chelsea could do more sensible transfers. Um, I think there is a perception thing still that English players can't be technically good and can't rival. I still think that that's just an assumption. Like, look at Raheem Sterling. Right? That's, I think, the best example. There's just still this kind of assumption that English players because of kind of the stereotypes of English football and the international level where we haven't always been brilliant um, or haven't <laughs> looked like a cohesive yeah. team um, yeah. that those perceptions even from whether it's you know abroad or also people who live in England who have those perceptions that English players just can't be that good um, it I think still lingers on some of it some of it does stem I can really only speak for a very specific Chelsea type of view on this because it's what we sort yeah, of live yeah, and breathe yeah, and yeah. what we for see sure, right sure. I think a lot of it is tied into a series of events tracking back to the summer of 2018 that very quickly online 
put people into different camps. I think put brought people to observe Chelsea and consume Chelsea who aren't specifically that connected to the club and don't really love the club that much. And, you know, sort of the stand culture and the sort of the just repping one player or repping one coach. You know, we know we, we've been through all this, right? And I think there's a there's a lot of that at Chelsea that to outsiders probably you wouldn't get unless you went on that journey or observed that journey as it progressed through the stages. Yeah. So, and some people just like the idea of putting down anything that's remotely local to the club they claim to support or claim to like. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the culture... I'd be fascinated to see what the culture is like in Italy um, from, say, a, a Juve fan, for instance, whether they have fans online who spend all their time trashing local players coming through into the first team. Is it the same in... Um, you know Bayern Bayern Munich another big club I mean Chelsea aren't the size of Bayern Munich but you know what I'm saying like I'd be interested in different football cultures whether there's a resentment of academy talent or just homegrown talent or in-league talent coming into the team um, well, at the fear, same rate for fear, fear of sort of stepping into <laughs> going somewhere we don't need to go but also that um, Chelsea's um, the a common perception of Chelsea is that Chelsea is a racist football club. You know, Chelsea fan base has, or certain small sections of the Chelsea fan base have displayed that over time. Um, and I think the idea of, of that combined with sort of uh, English on social media, almost, almost. It's become a pejorative. It's pejorative. When people use it, I think they are using it as, as a pejorative. They use it as an insult. They're using it as a slur at times. People, that is the way it's been framed towards me before in comments, the tone. Yeah, I know it's hard to, I know, listen, it, I'm not, it's not the same as speaking to someone in person and listening to their voice, but it's pretty clear the way the tone of saying English comes across. You know, I don't think a lot yeah. of the time in those kind of conversations or on those comments that you see that are negative, that's used as, I always, I always found it a bit bizarre that, you know, when I'm doing my, when I'm writing about football players, I will add their nationality to kind of not just to not keep repeating their name and add some more info. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, so yeah, for instance, yeah, like yeah. Mateo Kovacic, I won't keep on saying Mateo Kovacic because it no. looks stupid and bad in writing. Yeah. So you add the Croatian, the you Croatian. add the 27 yeah. year old, you know, you <laughs> yeah, add, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the international or whatever. The to, to, Champions League, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, the former yeah, Inter man, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> in general football conversation, we don't, I don't say that when I'm talking about players. I don't, you know, at least it's not, I don't mean, I'm only saying it to vary up my language. I'm not, that's not, when I'm talking about a player and criticising them, I'm criticising them or praising them for their performances on the pitch. I find it just a little bit bizarre that particularly around players like Mason Mount, the analysis of the player always comes back to his nationality. And I find that if you flipped, if you changed English to another nationality, it becomes... It looks worse. Yeah, yeah, but the reason the reason that is is, and you know, this will be the last we talk about it. But it's the fact that sort of the, you know, the 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 sort of subsequent death of the empire that we're living in, the the reputation that England has as a nation, uh, as a sort of you know, colonial nation, as as England football fans have uh, around the world. Typically, the you know the stereotype is not particularly welcoming, uh, and Chelsea fans have displayed you know, horrific behaviour at points um, that have, you know, culminated in this sort of entity where the, the sort of English-isms are thrown around in, in very different contexts all the time. It's just something that that's just sort of interesting to observe. But I, I, yeah, I would I would tend to, to, well, I completely understand what you're saying. I think it makes perfect sense. Um, do you want to talk about things that aren't Chelsea? Yeah. Which is always nice on the Chelsea-ish podcast. Um, let's stay in the Premier League. Favourite transfer so far, excluding Haaland, who, you know, as of time of recording, has scored uh, back-to-back hat-tricks, having put three past Forrest. Um, So excluding him because he's not only the best signing, but also immensely fun to watch. And I get very... He he reminds me of R9. And I said to you, I said this to you off camera, it's it's, it's bizarre that the fact that a comparison like that can be made and it doesn't sound outlandish. That's how good R9 was. And Haaland, 
you know, as long as he stays fit, which he looks like he will because he's, he's, you know, of how he's built. But he, he's truly brilliant. Outside of Haaland, favourite transfer? Isaac at Newcastle is, a, is an exciting one. And I wonder why you've mentioned Isaac. Tell me more. No, no reason. I just know generally I was sat there a week ago when the news broke that he was going to sign for Newcastle. And I thought, apparently if they have, even though it doesn't feel like they've spent a lot, they actually have spent a lot. I was listening yeah, to uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Philippe Auclair was bringing this up on the, the yeah. Guardian podcast. And I was like, oh, that's actually quite interesting. Um, so there's, there's, there's that one. I, I think that they've made some, they've made some decent signings. And I think Eddie Howe's a very good coach and potentially that could make them a lot of money in years to come. But it, we don't know the level Newcastle are going to be at in years to come. If they're a top club, they may not need to sell him. Anyway, um, looking, at, I think Gabriel Jesus, I think, is a very, very good signing. Um, perfect. It's perfect. He looked, he looked brilliant um, in Orlando, you know, and he's he just clicks. He just clicks completely with what they're what they're trying to do. Um, very shrewd signing. You know, with Isaac, firstly, you know, it's worth mentioning now that he's not like. This is based off of what they said on Stadio Podcast, by the way, Moose.com with Ryan Hunt, is that um, don't necessarily expect him to be a volume goal scorer at the beginning. He's not quite there as a sort of 25-goal-a-season player, but looks like he could be, uh, and has had a, a very, very interesting uh, development period. And, you know, you would say as a footballer, he's well-read in the fact that he's been at you know Sociedad and Dortmund and all these other places. It's... He's had a really interesting development arc and, and to be at Newcastle now is a really exciting opportunity. We're not going to talk about everything else to do with Newcastle because we'll be on this podcast for hours. But for him personally, it's a great opportunity and I think he's going to smash it. A player who, uh, sorry to bring us back to Chelsea because he scored against Chelsea. Um, Romeo uh, Lavia looks like a real talent in central oh, midfield. Yeah. He played a pass against Newcastle. No, it wasn't Newcastle, it was Leeds. He played a first-time pass that I think was the equaliser for Kyle Walker-Peters. Um, he looks like a really, really shrewd signing from Southampton. He's got, I think he's got the physique and the mobility to cope in the Premier League, but he's got this real eye for a pass and like a weight of pass that I just think there's so many doubts about Southampton in the summer about buying these young players. Like Joe Rebo, I think, is an, also an exciting signing from Rangers. Yes. Too. I think yes. he just offers an... I know they bought him last year, but you know Armstrong looks like he's coming into form and a bit more confidence now. Um, they look like an interesting team. Do you have any teams that you're sort of keeping up with semi-regularly as a sort of uh, neutral indulgence in football? Obviously Roma. Um, yeah, I knew, I knew it was going to be Roma. They are my. They are my. Uh, I hate. I hate being this person because I don't have a Serie A team I don't have a Bundesliga team I only support one football club and I can only oh, claim to I can only God. I can only claim to be a, an expert on one football club but I obviously I have to watch Roma for Jose and for of course Tammy Abraham the best story in football over the last 12 months you know it is 12 it's, it's nearly so just over 12 months since he signed for them um, mm. a wonderful story uh, from him uh, I loved. I watched. A, I actually watched a lot of European football over the weekend. I was sort of there was one point where I was switching between a lot of games. The Bundesliga. I always have a soft spot for Gladbach. Um, Jan Sommer with a heroic performance oh. um, against Bayern Munich, and and considering how many goals Bayern score, that's that's an impressive feat. Them getting a draw there, and to see. Daniel Falk there now, who obviously, you know, left Norwich with, you know, his reputation not in the best place, but he goes to Gladbach and they've started the season unbeaten. Um, and I'd, I'd love to see Gladbach back in the Champions League um, because, you know, I think they've got a great stadium and I'd like to go back there one day. Um, I'm obviously now going to be keeping up with Bayer Leverkusen for Callum Hudson-Odoi. Um, yeah. I, I think I told you this, I am going to see some German games in mm -hmm. the Bundesliga next month, uh, one of those, exciting. yeah, one of those is Mites. There may even be a third game where we're thinking about in the Eredivisie. We're thinking if we can make it to That'd watch at least one game on a Sunday as well. So um, I'm going to have that sort of flavour of, of different football, which I think is 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 fun to have because um, it can get quite dull, especially when you're as much as you know. I love 
what I do it's I think you need to get out of the bubble um and it's it's always just so enlightening and I think energizing going into different football stadiums and cultures and seeing football in a different way and I'm, I'm just so excited to sort of embrace all of that and hopefully over the course of the season I'd like to try and get out to Como at some point to see Cesc Fabregas play um, and they've got they've got a wonderful they've got one of the best football we his is take a drink they've got one of the best football shirts made this oh, season they do do you know what I was um I was on a filming trip in Venice not too long ago and I went we uh, saw the Venezia store and it's this like beautiful little pop-up and my goodness, I know it's a bit of a boring line, but those kits are stunning too. Whether it happens or not, we don't know. Obviously we've said repeatedly now, this is Wednesday, deadline day is Thursday. Um, Daniel Charles on a Bamiang. Go. Let's do it. But to call, you have to make it work. I think alone, if, if, if you can get him on loan, then that's fine. Part of me thinks Barca would do it on a one-year loan if Chelsea covered all the wages. As long as he turns up for training on time and turns up for an actual game on time, you know, does he? Does he know we, we? You know, we need to give him the schedule so he turns up to an actual game. I can imagine him at home to Arsenal. He doesn't show up. <laughs> doesn't play. Yeah, just moonwalks into training three hours <laughs> later. Um, also, he he is one of the worst dressed footballers in the world. And that's coming from Jay McIntosh, so you know it's Uh, it's true. Yeah, that that is true. Um, I think it's a nice place to wrap it. I'm not sure how coherent this is. I imagine we'll listen. I I don't really listen back to these. I know you do because you edit them. I listen back to them sometimes. I think, goodness, turn it off. Um, But for everyone that sent in questions, you and I have actually had tweets before asking us when we're going to do pods. which is always really appreciated. Thank you to everyone that's listening, made it all the way through. Follow Daniel on Twitter. He's got loads of followers now, unlike back in the day when we used to record and he didn't have too many, well, as many. Uh, don't follow me. My tweets are rubbish. This has been the Ever Ever Sunday podcast. Thank you so much for listening. See ya. <laughs>